This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for Episode 14 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. As we pass the midpoint of 2017, we've had several high-profile malware attacks so far this year, and two of the biggest have been WannaCry, the ransomware attack that went worldwide in May, and NotPetya, the destructive campaign that targeted Ukraine in June. Observers are still settling on a final name for NotPetya, by the way. It's being called Petya, Nyetya, and Goldeneye, but for this show we're going to go with NotPetya. Alan Liska is back to provide some of his insights into WannaCry and NotPetya. He's a senior solutions architect at Recorded Future and co-author of the book Ransomware, Defending Against Digital Extortion. Stay with us. WannaCry was an unsophisticated attack, but it happened to hit a number of organizations that were unpatched. So it was ostensibly a ransomware attack, although to date uh, the ransom that has been collected has not been withdrawn, which is highly unusual for that type of attack. Uh, But it took advantage of the Eternal Blue exploit that was released by Shadow Brokers. And on these unpatched networks, it was able to spread throughout the networks spreading the 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 ransomware that was tied to it some have speculated that it was a a proving ground to prove that this type of attack could work and and essentially turn a ransomware attack into a a a highly disruptive worm Um, but we don't have any confirmation of that when you say it was unsophisticated what are the components that lead you to that conclusion a good question the ransomware itself wasn't very sophisticated. The delivery methods weren't very sophisticated. Really, the only thing sophisticated about it was the uh, exploit from shadow brokers. And that was, again, publicly available. So it was somebody that bolted on a sophisticated exploit into a an unsophisticated attack. And they happened to get lucky to the point where they infected hundreds of thousands of victims. So for those hundreds of thousands of victims, they actually collected relatively little ransom, not just in terms of pure dollar amount, but in terms of percentage of successfully infected victims. uh, uh, They actually uh, didn't collect very much uh, money. So I I think the last count I saw, there was a little over $100,000 tied to that particular Bitcoin uh, wallet. And this was uh, primarily taking advantage of unpatched systems, yes? That's correct, right. So looking for systems that hadn't applied the uh, Microsoft MS-1710 security bulletin patch. So there were two types of systems. There were the unpatched systems, and then there were the uh, deprecated systems like Windows XP, which Microsoft did not have a patch for until after this attack came out. There were apparently a lot more of those uh, systems still running than Microsoft anticipated. And when this happened, I mean, certainly there was a lot of hullabaloo about it. It certainly caught everyone's attention. People were saying that perhaps we dodged a bullet with this one. Yes, absolutely. You know, had you taken this type of exploit and this type of delivery mechanism and then added on 
a real ransomware family. You know, it, had this been done with a Locky or a Cerber or Spora or one of the more sophisticated ransomware uh, uh, families with a more sophisticated uh, system uh, attached to it, payment system and delivery mechanism and so on, it could have been a lot more damaging in terms of cost to businesses and so on. And it seems as though perhaps the creators of WannaCry really didn't expect it to spread as far and wide as it did. No, no. This, uh, you know, I, I think I've used this example before. It's like if you're a petty criminal and you go to rob a Seven Eleven, and it turns out that you've actually uh, hit Fort Knox. They, they're not capable of handling that type of success, and they don't know what to do with that. So let's move on from WannaCry and let's talk about uh, the, the, the attack that's, uh, we haven't really settled on a name yet. Some people are calling it Petya, some people are calling it not Petya. Um, take us through uh, the discovery and, and sort of realizations with this latest one. I, yeah, I, I hate to get involved in naming conventions. Um, as cybersecurity people, I think we're all curmudgeonly. So we, we hate the fact that we have to name everything, but then we also hate it when we don't have a name that we can all agree on. So just in general, everybody gets frustrated with everything. Um, the, there is definitely some of the original Petya components to this ransomware. So the Petya ransomware has been around and, and morphed over the last year and a half pretty significantly. Uh, in fact, the most recent version of the Petya ransomware that was released in March actually had some RDP capabilities. So it, it had some of the the underpinnings of what this ransomware attack had. And the source code's been floating around in underground markets for a while. So while certainly the group behind this ran this particular attack is not the same group that launched the original Petya attack, there's definitely some components of that ransomware in here. So Petya's a little bit more of a sophisticated ransomware, still not a tier one ransomware, maybe like a you know, a tier two, a tier three type ransomware. You know, in, in this case, it looks like the ransomware here was a diversion compared to everything else that was being done in the attack. Now, that being said, unlike the WannaCry attackers, the, the not Petya attackers or the Nyetya attackers, depending on which term you like, mm -hmm. have withdrawn the ransom as of this morning. It, it's only 10 grand. Um, so, again, very low success attack in this case in terms of ransom. And it turns out that, that NotPetya is not actually ransomware. Like you said, it's, that's a diversion. What does it seem like they were really after? Well, it's a really good question, and I don't know that we know for sure what the answer is yet, but we know that there were two components to this attack. Um, the first is the ransomware component, and then there's an information stealer. Now, a lot of people originally thought it was the Loki information stealer. That doesn't seem to be the case, but... Nonetheless, there was an information stealer uh, a Trojan included as part of this attack. Now, the initial use of this attack, so this attack had two, this also was a worm-style uh, ransomware, um, and it had two ways of spreading. The first was it used the Eternal Blue exploit, so it had that exploit tied into it. But it turns out a lot of organizations actually have patched, and that part wasn't as successful. The second component was it would use the information stealer to collect credentials on the local box in which it landed, and then it would uh, use WMI tools 
to spread from one machine to another in the network. So it would basically, first it would do a scan to see what else is there. Um, and then it would use WMI tools and it downloaded Microsoft's PS exec tool as part of its initial payload. And it would use PS exec, uh, the downloaded PS exec to spread itself from box to box to box throughout the network. Now, ostensibly, that is to deploy the ransomware, but considering how low success uh, the attackers had with the ransomware itself in terms of getting payments, there's a pretty good bet that there was other information that it was taking while it was in there. You know, I haven't seen any evidence as far as what it was trying to take, but it was able to gather for evidence um, as uh, you know, the information stealer was able to gather evidence. So is it exfiltrating that data? Is there a place that we've figured out where it's sending it to? Nothing that I've seen yet. And it may not be. It may have just been a test run for the capabilities. We're still taking it apart and so on. No one's found any command and control host, and there doesn't appear to be one inside of the code itself. So it may have just been a test run to see if it can grab the information and use that to spread throughout the network. Um, or there may be something else that you know, that we haven't seen yet. It would amount to the sort of novel way that this was distributed through a, a software update. It's interesting because it's actually not new. This has been the primary way that uh, malware is delivered on Macs for a while. Apple's done a fairly good job of locking down the operating system. The way that bad guys have been infecting a lot of Apple machines is by presenting itself as part of a download for an update or for a piece of software. So this is just sort of taking that methodology and using it as a delivery mechanism. And of course, the fact that they chose this uh, me.doc accounting software, which according to reports, is required for every business in the Ukraine to run for tax purposes, indicates that this attack was highly targeted towards targets in the Ukraine, towards organizations in, in the Ukraine. And, and there's this notion that perhaps beyond that targeting, it sort of escaped accidentally? Yeah, that would be, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, th we live in a very interconnected world, right? WannaCry would actually scan active net blocks out on the internet looking for vulnerable hosts. Whereas the, the Netya is not scanning external net blocks. It's only looking for internal uh, uh, net blocks. But because we're such an interconnected world, that means that you know an organization in Ukraine, Ukraine that has an office in France or has providers in France or Spain or the United States um, that are VPNed into that network can also be vulnerable to attack by this uh, software. So looking at things like WannaCry and NotPetya, I think there's this, uh, there's this tendency to sort of brace ourselves for the big one. And uh, both of these, as they began, uh, there was uh, people sort of wondering, is this the big one? I think neither one of them turned out to be, but how do they inform us in terms of preparation against what could be the big one? You know, so this is now two months in a row that we've had a large-scale ransomware worm. And, and if you remember, prior to WannaCry, we really haven't had a worm uh, uh, you know, that spread like this for, for almost a decade. WannaCry was fairly big in terms of what it did. Now we have another ransomware worm that, that's popped up. 
I expect we may see uh, more of those. So if this was an experiment, if this was a, a, a testing ground, we may see more of this activity, but tied to more sophisticated actors or even more sophisticated tools that could spread more effectively throughout networks. You know, right, right now, you know, the, the, the Eternal Blue exploit is quickly being patched around the world if it's not fully patched, um, you know, everywhere it can be. But there are other exploits that the shadow brokers have released that could be tied into these ransomware campaigns to deliver uh, a more effective and wider spread delivery. Yeah, so if you had taken either one of these campaigns and started out as a phishing campaign that then tied into this, that could have been much more widespread and done much more damage. So take me behind the scenes a little bit. Uh, when these sorts of things like WannaCry or, or NotPetya uh, start to percolate up, what is it like behind the scenes at Recorded Futures? You all evaluate them and, and, uh, and do the things you do. So we have just an incredible team. We're doing things that I expect a lot of security companies are doing. One, we're, we're grabbing the code itself so we can start tearing it apart. That's, that's the most important thing so that we have a good understanding of what's going on. We disseminate that information within the company. So as we have updates and can confirm things, we disseminate it within the company and then we disseminate it out to our customers. Secondarily, we do things like blog posts and, and update our Twitter feed in order to make sure that the broader community is aware of what's going on because this type of attack, it's really important to get as much information, as much accurate information as possible into the hands of as many people as possible. It's a challenge in the first couple of hours because there's a whole lot of bad information out there. It's just like any other uh, uh, breaking news scenario. There's a lot of really bad information and erroneous reports. So it's the job of our analyst team to take a look at all of the reports, see what can be verified, tie that in with our own ability to determine things based on code samples that we're able to look at and make sure that everything lines up, but then get that information to our customers as quickly as possible. Especially in a case like this where you have an attack that started in the Ukraine that we wanna make sure if there are any protections our customers can put in place they have them in the United States and, you know, in, in EMEA before they go live, you know, and, and then as updates happen. So when, for instance, we found out that, you know, that the email address that was associated with this attack had been disabled by the uh, mail provider, we're able to tell customers, do not bother to pay the ransom here because you'll never get your files back. There's no way for the attacker to communicate with you. So if you don't have a backup, your best bet is to wipe and uh, start fresh. I suppose one of the uh, sort of unintended consequences or, or perhaps a potential upside is that these events really have gotten people to focus on patching. Yes. You know, it's one of these things that the best defense against ransomware is to make sure you have good backups. But really, the second best defense is to make sure that your systems are fully up to date. So in this case, it's the Microsoft patches against web exploits type ransomware um, that use the, the uh, exploit kits. It's to make sure your Adobe is patched, your browser is patched, your Silverlight's patched, your Java's patched, etc. 
that is really the the second best defense against these type of ransomware attacks. And patching is boring. Patching's unexciting compared to you know new shiny technology that you know you want to put in place. But patching is still one of the most effective ways to protect your organization against any kind of ransomware attack. If WannaCry was low sophistication, this was much more sophisticated of an attack. If there's a next one, then and, and there will be, the next one that will build on this will be even more sophisticated. So make sure you have the right protections in place for your organization. Make sure you're keeping up to date on what the latest threats are. And you hopefully won't fall victim to whatever the next one of these is. Our thanks to Alan Liska for joining us once again. Don't forget to sign up for Recorded Futures Cyber Daily email, and every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, and suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. You can also find more intelligence analysis at recordedfuture.com slash blog. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Amanda McKeown, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by Pratt Street Media with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. 